Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, helping those damaged by alcohol before they were born. While there's no clear evidence, estimates based on studies overseas and rates of drinking in New Zealand suggest there could be several thousand babies born every year with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. That means these children's brains have been permanently damaged in the womb when their mothers drank alcohol, possibly unaware they were even pregnant. Experts have been pushing for more action and help for years, and in 2016 the former government introduced an aspirational action plan. But has anything changed? At this home in Auckland, it's after-school mayhem as everyone is tired and looking for snacks. But this house is a little different as it's home to a six-year-old foster child we'll call Tom, who's been diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Also living here are two other foster children, another six-year-old and a two-year-old, the foster parent's own teenage daughter and an older child from a previous marriage. Tom came to this home as a very young child in a poor state. There was family neglect of the children and the child being the youngest wasn't getting fed properly, being brought up by older siblings who were kind of under the age of 14 and so a number of many children in the family. So to give you an idea, if you see the children that come out of Africa with extended bellies, this boy had that extended belly being fed properly. The foster parents, who have chosen to be called Ian and Bronwyn for this insight, have looked after nearly 50 children over a decade. But they only discovered information to explain why so many children in care had extreme behaviour problems two or three years ago. Some of these children, they never learnt from their mistakes. Uh, Impulsive behaviour. they, uh, what, what others would see as stealing, but it's it's not actually stealing. Like they they see something and they like it, and nobody's holding it, so it's available to them. And, um, we recognise that perhaps we had at least one other child with it that we didn't know anything about it then, and so I have regrets that I kind of wish if I knew then what I know now, things could have been different for that child. Um, so it's not being naughty, which is mostly what you would look at and say. Yeah, at first you, you think, oh my gosh, these kids are... <laughs> you know, but I, I remember at the point with this little guy, I remember one day... Please leave that. No. You are going to At this stage, Tom has climbed onto the table we're sitting at and has opened a fuse box in an effort to turn off the lights. And his Home for Life parents have given clear instructions to stop. But this sort of behaviour is not out of the ordinary. Really hard. Like, there was a time I could not... I couldn't even go to the loo during the day. I could not take my eyes off him for a second because there would be some disaster. And I was like, I need some kind of breakthrough. And then I read a book, and it was about FASD, and it was like, oh, tick, tick, tick. Because Tom had been unwell as a baby, he was under the care of a hospital paediatrician and was diagnosed as having fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, although the birth mother never admitted drinking during her pregnancy, which is needed to absolutely confirm alcohol-induced brain damage. We're trying to have a wee talk here, and uh, I know you're excited, so how about you go and play with some of your dolls, eh, my girl? (laughs) To have a child that's got developmental delays and expected fetal alcohol spectrum disorder... It's hard work because they don't listen to instructions. They don't seem to remember what they learned yesterday. And uh, it's like a movie that used to be called Groundhog Day, where every day was a repeat, repeat, repeat. 
it's been hard work. Also, no self-preservation or care, uh, so that's another risk because if they, yeah, but they don't realise risks, so they'll climb up fences, gates, anything. Run up hence, to the dairy and pull chippies off the shelves. Yeah, you know, climb on your stove and turn the elements on, hence we have to have grills around our stove. And break new TVs and tablets and iPads and phones. When he was younger, picture cards helped Tom communicate how he felt or what he wanted to do so that frustration over poor communication didn't boil over into meltdowns where everything was thrown around the room. But there have been extremely difficult stages, such as when he was obsessed with knives. Oh, the knife obsession. I, I had knives up high and he would open drawers, get up on the bench, shimmy across the bench and climb up and get a knife and next minute he's stabbing the mattress or gouging a hole in the wall. Um, or a trampoline. Oh, yes, the trampoline's full of holes. We have to get rid of that. And I, I kind of dealt with that it was hard because you couldn't just chase him when he's running with a knife. Oh, it's very scary. Very hard. <laughs> so you had to kind of sneak up on him and kind of loosen his grip a wee bit. But I found that by teaching him to use a knife, so, OK, you want a knife, why do you need the knife? And you want to cut an orange, OK, let's, you know, and I'd very nervously <laughs> approach it that way and... Life here is lived on high alert 24-7, including throughout the night. But Ian and Bronwyn say they're hopeful for Tom, as he has a lot of help, has made progress with his speech and is doing well at school. While nothing can cure the condition, they talk about learning to change the environment to suit the child rather than trying the other way around. Along with a very supportive school, getting as much information as possible has helped them cope. But as their youngest decides to switch on the vacuum cleaner, they tell me they would relish some respite care to give them a break and a good night's sleep. The number of New Zealanders affected by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD, is unknown. This country chose not to take part in a World Health Organization prevalence study that countries similar to New Zealand, such as Canada, did sign up to. I investigated what was being done to help those with FASD in an insight programme three years ago and the call then from experts in the field was for a government action plan and a prevalence study. I spoke then to Valerie McGinn, a clinical neuropsychologist who specialises in diagnosing fetal alcohol damage and who regularly gives expert court evidence, including at the Privy Council hearing where Tainapora's conviction for rape and murder was overturned. When I went back this month to ask if things had improved, she said very little has changed for those struggling to cope with FASD and the numbers involved were still a case of best guess. But the WHO study has now given Canada numbers to work from. They've just um, got their results from the World Health Organisation of 3% of the population, but we also know that we're drinking at least twice to three times as much in pregnancy, so I think we can just estimate that we're at least 3% of the population. I don't think we need to wait to find out before we do something. Canada's only just finding out and they've been providing services for 20 years to this population trying to reduce the harm. So um, we did have an opportunity to be in the World Health Organisation study. We would now know our prevalence but the government um, wouldn't fund that and so we won't know until that's done. At a very conservative 1% of live births, that's 600 children born each year with alcohol-induced brain damage. But given what's known about the drinking levels here, 
that's more likely to be 3% or 1,800 babies born every year, or possibly even 5%. That would be 3,000 children born permanently damaged each year. Valerie McGinn says there aren't enough trained staff to diagnose the disorder. There are shortages in Auckland, no one in Wellington or anywhere in the South Island except Nelson. I do a lot of work for the youth courts and the adult courts and I know that I'm literally only seeing the tip of the iceberg and it's very sad to think that there are children in our schools with FASD not diagnosed and not being accommodated who are failing due to a failure of our health service and a failure of our government to fund proper services for this disabled group. Likewise in prison we know that in Canada about 17% of the prison population have FASD, about 25% of the youth prison population in Canada and so you know there are children everywhere coming to grief and harm, being excluded from school and entering the justice system who actually have an unrecognised disability. We'd like to think that Public health is, um, incorporates everything within it, uh, but it takes a sort of bird's eye view and a collective view of, of what health is all about. So Chris Bullen is a professor in population health at Auckland University and was a senior investigator in a recent study on the use of alcohol during pregnancy. The team he worked with used data collected for a long-term study called Growing Up in New Zealand that tracks the development of more than 6,000 children and their parents from before birth. Prior to pregnancy, um, about three-quarters of New Zealand women um, had alcohol from time to time. Um, that dropped dramatically um, when they became aware that they were pregnant um, and down to about a quarter. But there were a small group of women who drank in the first trimester and a, a much smaller number who drank what we might call sort of um, heavy, heavy drinking, you know, four or more drinks a week, potentially some of those in one sort of episode. Uh, which we know is probably the most harmful type of exposure for the foetus, because what we're talking about here is not harm to the mother per se, but to the unborn baby. This continuing and sometimes heavy drinking in the first trimester was more common among young Māori women whose pregnancy was unplanned. However, this changes for those who drank in later pregnancy, when Chris Bullen says the profile was for older women. I suspect it might be you know, having the occasional glass of wine with your friends later in pregnancy, uh, and anecdotally, um, there seems to be mixed uh, information being given out to women in pregnancy right across the socioeconomic and ethnic spectrum, if you like. And some of that is that, you know, the old glass of wine won't do you any harm, dear. Um, and that's coming from health professionals. So I think we need really clear, consistent messaging around the risks of alcohol consumption during pregnancy at any stage in pregnancy. Chris Bullen says the study also indicated that up to half of the women taking part who went to a GP weren't told anything about drinking alcohol while they were pregnant. Although the data is six years old, he says health professionals he's talked to indicate the situation is just the same. The same growing up in New Zealand data is also being used by the Ministry of Health under its action plan for research into the incidence of FASD and other neurological conditions. However, the clinical neuropsychologist Valerie McGinn says this type of study shows the risk of being affected by FASD rather than the prevalence or how widespread the condition is throughout the population. But because fetal alcohol damage affects so many, five years ago Claire Jide set up the online support group FASD Can. She has an adopted son, Jacob, who was diagnosed at about 13 with FASD as behavioural issues really began to emerge.
the trouble really started to hit at intermediate age. Um, high school was a nightmare. And there were lots of issues. He was stood down. There were lots of uh, detentions and problems. And um, subsequently he left school with really no qualifications at all. Is it him just not listening, not concentrating, not being able to get on with other kids? What sort of things happen for him? The issues around FASD are that they are highly distractible and they're very impulsive. Their processing is often slow, so if you are speaking and giving instructions, he may not hear all of that. And so if he doesn't follow those instructions, then it was sort of viewed as willful misconduct, which of course it wasn't. He just didn't understand where he was meant to be and what he was meant to be doing. She says some families also grapple with violent outbursts and abuse and often marriages fail and families fall apart under the pressure. Claire Jide says during the worst times she thought her son might end up dead or in jail. But with one-on-one support at school and the right predictable structure in place, she argues it is possible for children, young people and adults to make progress and succeed in developing a productive life as her son Jacob has. He's working full-time, he's a storeman, he, um, he has the same um, routine most days, same hours of work, which are quite important. Um, it, it's still pretty difficult, you know, he gets tired and, um, you know, it takes quite a lot to concentrate throughout the day. Um, but he's, he's actually doing really well, so um, with the right kind of support... Definitely those with FASD can be contributing members of society. I mean, he's, he's proof of that. But not everyone does as well as Jacob Jide. As a principal youth court judge, Andrew Beecroft was one of those at the front of the charge to try to get something in place to help those affected by FASD, many of which he saw bouncing back through the courts day after day. He's now the Children's Commissioner, but three years ago he told me he'd been writing already to Associate Health Ministers for six years about the need for action. In his new role, and two years after the Government Action Plan was launched, Judge Beecroft says sadly virtually nothing has changed. While there has been talk, he describes the Action Plan as high on thinking and abysmal on action. He says there's a paralysis of action that cannot continue any longer. The condition falls between the existing treatment cracks. Community adolescent mental health services, the specifications don't cover behavioural or neurodevelopmental disorders. Community disability services from the Ministry of Health don't cover fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So in the end, a family who's concerned has got nowhere easily to go. So that's one reason. There's just services aren't available. More importantly, there's no easy diagnosis and there is no good continuum of readily accessible services. And they are the things that the action plan has been crying out for. Another who's been working to improve understanding of what exactly fetal alcohol spectrum disorder actually is and how to work with those affected is Christine Rogan, a health advocate with Alcohol Health Watch, an organisation funded by the Ministry of Health. She says while the media has been full of the explosion in meth use and talk of pea babies, alcohol still poses the greatest danger to unborn children. Alcohol is a, is a serious teratogen. That means it's a substance that will change the course of development. Uh, it can do that physically. It can do that uh, in terms of the central nervous system and it can change the way in which the brain functions and develops or develops and functions. Um, other drugs uh, will be harmful, but they can't 
change structure the way alcohol does. So alcohol's the primary drug of, um, of harm. And often what happens is we have, um, in our society, we, we have you know, more than one drug use going on at any one time. So I think at the moment there's, there's a bit of an epidemic of meth and it's very cheap and it's, and it's being used a lot out there and that's a concern and that needs to be addressed. But to label every child that's um, there as a, as a meth baby or has a meth syndrome or whatever, I think is a step too far and we need to pull that back and say, has alcohol been consumed alongside of that? While running workshops to raise awareness and spread information about the best way to help, Christine Rogan is frustrated by the lack of impetus. We have here internationally recognised the leading preventable cause of intellectual disability in the Western world, and we're not getting to grips with that uh, to the extent that we need to. I'm Philippa Tolley, and you're listening to an insight exploring what's being done to help those damaged by alcohol before they were born. Sunny and her husband are another family dealing with the effects of fetal alcohol damage at their home in Porirua, just north of Wellington. When I visit, they're packing up to start moving the next day to a better rental house a short distance away. So along with the normal chaos of three children, including two under three, things are out of the cupboards and everyone is getting ready to go. It's almost bedtime and Big Sister is reading to her brothers aged two and a half and 18 months. The ducks in the pond... All three children are adopted, and Sunny has talked to her 11-year-old daughter, Anna, not her real name, about what happened to her before she was born. My mummy originally, um, she drank alcohol when I was, like, a newborn baby, and um, I had a lot of the alcohol in me, and um, then Sif took me away and said, I'm actually, um, your mum's drinking alcohol, so it's not really safe for me and my sisters and my brother. What does that mean when you go to school and things? Has it made things difficult for you? Um, yeah, sometimes. How does that work? What's tricky for you? Um, maths and writing and... Maths and writing and, um, reading... And when you know that that happened before you were born, do you sometimes think about it? How does it make you feel? It makes me a bit sad and angry and frustrated. Sunny explains how her daughter, when she first came into their family, had very slow development in every area from speech to movement and was also in a bad way physically. Across the board in multiple areas of development, fine motor skills, gross motor, gross motor um, language, cognition, uh, anything you name, height, weight, size, all of it. I think her weight was under the third percentile. Her height was about eight. So when at, at two, three, she was very small. At two, she was, she was wearing, you know, size one clothes, and they were big on her. She could fit into size six months clothes at two. Oh. She weighed nine kilos. She could stand, but couldn't. she was not quite toddling at two years old. No words at all. While no one would like their child being identified as suffering from fetal alcohol disorder, Sunny is thankful they were able to get a tentative diagnosis early and that it could be confirmed as the birth mother admitted she did drink throughout the pregnancy. She says that meant they could work on getting the right help and support for their daughter. 
Sunny has spoken to many other foster parents she's met through support networks and many have been left with little understanding or help. You really are expected to go out and do some research on your own about trauma, about fetal alcohol exposure, about drug exposure, about all of that. You know that the kid's going to have it, but what does that actually mean day to day? That training is, is just not clear and it's not open about the challenges that these families face. Um, again, we're really lucky with the behavior side of it. And there are so many people who have, you know, their homes destroyed and have um, their existing kids and they've decided to, they, they want to take in foster kids and it turns into a nightmare. The Ministry of Health-led Action Plan is due to deliver in July next year. It's divided into 10 areas that range from backing programs to reduce harmful drinking and develop clear messages about the harm of drinking in pregnancy to improving sexual health care to reduce unplanned pregnancies. There are three areas covering upskilling of professionals to identify and diagnose. That ability to be able to diagnose is crucial as the action plan estimates that up to 50% of children taken into care have been damaged by alcohol before they were born. Rose Hawkins, Oranga Tamariki's Regional Disability Advisor for Auckland and Northland, explains the Ministry for Children has an assessment scheme called Gateway to evaluate the health and education needs of young people coming into care. Under the action plan, the Ministry of Health says it's continuing to bolster the scheme, but Rose Hawkins says the ability to assess each child's situation varies across the country. I would say there's probably more in this area, more awareness of it in this area um, that I'm covering. But there's some areas where there's basically no um, diagnostic assistance. So so the knowledge about what to do is also, also needing to grow. What I have seen, though, over the last few years is, is a real um, increase in, in children who are supported um, very well from, from an early stage. She says knowledge about fetal alcohol damage is now well spread throughout the ministry and work is going on to make sure all agencies, such as education, are working to help children who've suffered brain damage. But many experts want FASD to be recognised as a disability. The fact that people with fetal alcohol damage do not generally qualify is surprising to the Disability Commissioner, Paula Tesorero. At the moment, a person who is diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is not eligible for access to disability support services unless they also have an intellectual disability. So what that means is that if a family wants to access a support like respite care, they are not necessarily guaranteed of the funding to do that. And something like respite care is actually a critical service that needs to be provided to families in need. And she says there's an urgent need for policy to change. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is absolutely a disability. That's clear from definitions in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. It's absolutely clear from definitions in the Human Rights Act. And I'm unclear why, as a result of those definitions being so clear, that kids with and, and adults with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder are not eligible Historically, there have been other conditions where there's been debate over time about is it a disability, is it not, and then it's landed with, with some form of resolution. But to be honest, we have to get away from trying to label people and make them fit into a box 
and instead start focusing on making sure that young people and their families have the right supports and services. While supporting the contents of the Ministry of Health-led Action Plan, Valerie McGinn is critical of progress in the last two years, saying it's been put into practice by people who have no experience of the disorder. Nothing has come of the FASD plan for the people who need help. And I also believe, although it's not, you know, I don't know for sure, I believe nothing has come of a lot of the resources that have been put out into this because it's misguided. She thinks there's a drive to reinvent the wheel rather than save resources and adapt tried and true policy from places such as Canada, which have been moving to tackle the problem for nearly 20 years. The Health Minister, David Clark, wasn't available to speak to Insight about how seriously the government regarded the need for more action over FASD. But in a written response, Dr Clark said the government's focus was on prevention, and while he didn't have any announcements to make at this stage, he did expect to have more to say on the government's response to alcohol and other drugs in months to come. The Children's Commissioner, Andrew Beecroft, says just the future financial burden on New Zealand society, let alone the individual tragedy, should justify an increase in services. For each baby, a minimum of hundreds of thousands, if you take into account educational disengagement, drain on the health services, prison at over 100000 a year. I mean, the cost is millions and millions as a whole for the community. And it's just so preventable and it's so obvious. And I think history will probably judge us harshly, you know. They will say, well, we had all the knowledge, we had all the information, but what do they do? And neuropsychologist Valerie McGinn is certain a comprehensive response would dramatically change some of this country's serious social problems. If the government could address fetal alcohol in New Zealand, then we could make a big impact on our bad child statistics, on our high rates of children coming into care, on our high rates of imprisonment. You know, we could actually change the course of life for the better for some of our most disadvantaged people. Because in New Zealand we have an underclass of people who have FASD, a disability that is not being recognised by the government, and they are suffering. Questions about the future cause Sunny to pause and sigh. She says unless proper help is at hand, the future for many young people suffering from the disorder isn't pretty. It's such a tough road. Um, the, the deck is stacked against kids with this issue and they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle and if they don't get a support network around them and under them, the pathway, getting kicked out of school early. These are kids, you've got kids that are getting expelled from primary school and it's not, they're not choosing this. They're not, it's not something they can actually stop the behaviour, they don't have the executive function. They almost need someone else to be their external brain and say, well, let's think about that, Troy, let's, let's, let's pause. It's rough. It's really rough, you know, if they don't have the support there. As you said, it's lifelong. Mm. You have a daughter. What are your hopes for her future? We hope that she is able to achieve all the dreams she has and... We recognise that that's not going to be on the same pace as everyone else.
That programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley. If you'd like to listen to more serious reporting from Insight, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash Insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we explore the right to roam. Visitor numbers are increasing, but how much public access should trampers, hunters and tourists be given or expect over farmland? That's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us and join us again next week.